friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. Hey Scoobies, Sarah here. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to give you guys a few announcements. First of all, we will be placing a trigger warning on this episode as we will be discussing topics such as suicide and self-harm. If that is something you are sensitive to, I highly recommend not listening to this episode simply because it will be sprinkled throughout. Also, uh, this episode will be airing on July 1st, and after which we will be taking a couple-week break and we'll be coming back with Bad Eggs on August 5th. So don't worry, we haven't gone anywhere permanently. It's just a temporary hiatus. We will be back in August to finish strong with season two. So until then, you guys, enjoy this episode. Hi, guys, and welcome to our spoiler section. If you guys were in an intense workout or if you somehow found yourself dozing off and didn't pay attention to the fact that we are now in our spoiler section, this is our fair warning that we will be talking about all things foreshadowing, spoilery in all seasons of Buffy, including the show Angel. So if you didn't know Angel had a show, then you're probably in the wrong section, just letting you know now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) unless you want to hear spoilers then you are welcome i give you virtual hugs because i want you here (laughs) (laughs) Um, but on a more serious note we also did want to give a fair warning that we will be talking about very serious topics um and this is just a trigger warning for anyone who um would rather not hear things about uh, suicide or um, just depression and self-harming, things like that. Um, if you are sensitive to those topics or just um, not in the right headspace to hear about that, then go ahead and click off and we'll, um, we'll hear from you next time. Um, but I think all that out of the way, I think we're good to start. We also have Destiny back. Yes. Woo! So yay, Destiny. Yay. And thank you for bearing with us our four different <laughs> intros. You're very patient. The ugly side of having a podcast. <laughs> this is the part of the episode that we always especially enjoy and we find our guests really enjoy as well because you get to talk unfiltered about any topic in the Buffyverse that mm-hmm. you particularly want to talk about, especially as a guest. You know, you've been holding it in this entire time. So <laughs> we'll go through maybe the things that we picked out in the episode. But if there's ever anything that pops up you want to talk about, please, the floor is yours. All right. So the first thing that I kind of want to talk about is once again, okay, so first of all, this is a phenomenal episode. This is a a great episode. I love it. I forgot about it. Yeah. I think it's totally underrated. So this is not to like take away from the episode at all. But once again, it's written by Marty Noxon. And this is something we've kind of been talking about in the past few episodes that she's written and also knowing like where the show goes and stuff. But I think there is a pattern with Marty's writing that kind of carries the message that it's not real love unless you're reckless, violent, and possibly abusive to the other party. Mm. I don't think she's trying to write that I, I think it's a subliminal message that often comes out in a lot of the um the stuff she does write which i'm conflicted in because she also writes some beautiful bangel moments but there's also kind of 
like she likes pain, but sometimes it's a little distracting and frustrating, once again, leading into the stuff that happens in season six. And I was wondering what your guys' thoughts were on that, particularly you, Destiny. Um, well, I definitely think it goes back into like the concepts of passion and like when you're looking at like the episode of passion and how, um, Angel was just talking about like we would be, I wish I had like the full thing in front of me, but like, you know, without passion, we would be empty and dank. And so like, I think that's probably where Marty is coming from. It's just that like, it's not true love unless there's actual passion and passion mm-hmm. has to be like, like it can be rough. It can be hard. It can be emotional and it can be, you know, hmm exemplified in all of those different elements it can Um, also be unhealthy yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point i i think it's hard because it's like on one hand you know you're like oh my gosh you know she's creating all these like unhealthy situations and stuff but on the other hand it's also like it is created in a world where there are vampires and they're you know all this stuff and so it makes more logical sense that you're going to see a lot more unhealthy relationships that are very passionate rather than healthy ones simply because you are in the realm of like the fantastic demons the and mouth. devils and yes, yeah the hell mouth. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> um and so it makes more sense that they're going to deal more with the unhealthy side rather mm. than healthy you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah no those are good thoughts and i mean Again, and this is something that I think we're going to wrestle with until the end of the podcast is just how much should writers include and add? And like we keep talking about, we don't want to put our writers in a box and say, you can't ever write about X, you know, but it's always just kind of interesting to see where or how, like what writers generally center around and stuff. And Mm -hmm. also to like, okay, do you, you can talk about something that is hard and gritty and just painful to watch, but I want to know like where you're going. I want to know that there's an intentionality behind it. Mm -hmm. It's not there just to be gratuitous or to get more views. I want to know that there's a good resolution. And I also want to see like it worth it in the end. One of my biggest pet peeves is when writers will use dark storylines, like really dark storylines, whether that be suicide or other things. Um, and they don't do it in a a meaningful, beautiful, intentional way. They do it just to get just to be graphic. Or shock and value. Just to, just to use mm-hmm. shock value. For example, I don't know how many of you have seen the show Thirteen Reasons Why. Mm-hmm. I watched the first season because I was extremely curious. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that there were some good, good elements of it. And I think the people who started writing the show had good intentions. But especially by the end of the show, it really just became whatever would get audiences to be shocked. All that being said, <laughs> I think that they did a, they did a good job of handling it in this episode. And I think they did a good job of showing the power and the pain and, the ugly side of suicide without being really graphic and really showy. And I think that that's, it was executed well. This episode could have very easily delved into romanticizing suicide. Mm. Um, And I think that they were just showing the sorrow and the pain behind it. And I think a lot of times, I mean, I don't want to generalize because I think people's reasons behind committing suicide is very nuanced and varied. I think it's different for every person, but there's always some sort of pain behind it. And so I think showing 
that and also showing forgiveness too. I think it can, it's so layered. Forgiveness is so important and it's so healing. Um, and so I loved that the episode focused on that versus on the opposite, yes. which was, Hey, let's, let's dwell and marinate in this like pain and this of all the stuff that's going on instead let's talk about like the healingness and the freedom and forgiveness and i think that's Mm -hmm. that's the difference and i think that's the intentionality and moving forward too i think we even we just talked about this but even in earshot when jonathan's like at his lowest and that's it i mean buffy Mm -hmm. gives him some tough love but at the same time she lets him know you're not alone and i Mm -hmm. think again Buffy, especially, or I think in the earlier seasons, does such a good job of having these heavier themes interwoven inside these episodes, but it's not the focal point of the episode. It's definitely there and it's definitely dealt with, but you have these beautiful themes that are the focal point, which is healing, which is forgiveness, which is, hey, like people come together and stuff. And I think that's so important. Um, and that's that's a well done theme. And it's a um, sensitive theme, you know? Amen. And I think that like, honestly, I think more shows should take like refuge into that. Like, you know, let's not dwell into this negative. Like, yes, people go through it. And yes, people but like, Where's the aftermath of it and where's the healing? Like, I I do think that 13 Reasons Why does try to emphasize, like, the effects that suicide of, like, of other people. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just a self-driven thing. Like, it affects everything else. Um, And, like, how is there healing from that? How is there moving forward from that? And I think, like, that's the beautiful thing with Buffy is, like, like, this whole episode was centric around forgiveness and growing and how they're able to move past that. And Mm. had James had that scene of forgiveness, you know, like had he never accidentally shot her, you know, he never would have killed himself. He never would have felt Mm -hmm. so despaired that he would have had to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know? And so I don't know. We need more shows like Buffy. (laughs) We do. And I think obviously we know Buffy doesn't handle things perfectly and everything, like especially I think with mental health and stuff, I think Mm. season six does a good job of bringing up those issues, especially for the 90s and early 2000s. Like when mental health wasn't really talked about a lot, like addiction and all the stuff, Buffy did a good job of broaching those topics Mm. and stuff. Does it do it perfectly? No, it doesn't. There's some messy storylines in there. However, I think that, you do have shows, even like 13 Reasons Why, that is building off of the foundation, whether or not they do it well. They're building off of mm-hmm. a foundation that Buffy laid because it is important to talk about these issues. It is so important yeah. to do it. I think it's Im- equally important to do it well, but you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that Buffy yeah. is a is a, is just – that's why it's Buffy, like because it impacts so many different shows today. Mm-hmm. I think that like that's – Great point, Sarah and Destiny. I think that it's so important to recognize, like, not only is Buffy a good show, you know, now that it's 2021, but it's also crazy looking back and seeing that it was made in the 90s when so many stuff was, like, brushed over where shows, like, not to hate on it, but shows like Friends were big because they didn't really talk about anything. They mm-hmm. just were fun. And, it, you know, obviously it's a different type of show. So, you know, I'm not bashing They did Friends in the last season. Like yeah. But for nine seasons, um, they didn't really talk about anything. Right. I love the show. But, love it. but Right. But even then, the show is kind of just like an easy watch, which is a different type of show. It doesn't need to talk about, like, suicide. It's it's okay. We forgive friends for that. <laughs> um, but, like, it's just that's what a lot of shows were 
not just in the 90s, but in general, it was like an escape from reality. And mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, it's mm-hmm. it's just something easy to watch to get me out of my head zone. And so I think that it was really rare to see that switch start to happen when it was starting to talk about real life things, even in a supernatural show like Buffy, where they were talking about real stuff and it wasn't just like, oh, let's go hang out at a coffee shop for eight years and talk about life. You know, it was like a, oh my gosh, you know, my, you know, one of my family members died and I Mm. I don't know how to cope. And now I'm becoming a parental figure to like my sibling. Like, and so it was real, you know? And I think that, you know, if that show came out now, I would still be like, this is amazing. But even the fact that it came out over like, well, not over like 20 years ago now, Mm -hmm. like that is impressive, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But you know, that's why we have a podcast. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Here we go. All right, so let's just state the obvious. This, I think everybody knows this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This was the episode that made Joss Whedon go, hmm, I think David Boreanaz can carry his own show. Uh, I think that's pretty well-known trivia, but I do want to say that um, the scene in particular was the one where he was emotional and he was talking with, um, you know, Sarah or Buffy. And Joss talks about, he says, Seeing David do a very emotional female role and doing it without being silly or overdoing it. Um, And he was talking about, you know, I thought it was interesting the comment he made about how a lot of male action stars might try to make it more macho because they don't want to show as emotional of a side as they, um, as the scene calls for. Mm. And yet, you know, David Boreanaz just like poured himself into that. And I think he, he really did well on Angel. Like he's very layered. And I think Tabby, it was you that mentioned a couple weeks ago or on one of our previous episodes about how it must have been so fun being David playing, you know, he plays Angelus, he plays Angel. He plays Angelus playing Angelus, Angelus playing Angel, Angel playing Angelus. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. There's just like a lot. And he does it all so well. And he, mm-hmm. you really see him grow as an actor. I think that he's mm-hmm. definitely very green in this season, but there's potential there, and we see him grow a ton even in his own show. Speaking of the show Angel, this episode, or like the idea of spirits embodying themselves uh-huh. in people's bodies, reminds me of that episode in Angel. I think it's season Waiting in the Wings three. Yep, where Cordelia and Angel are possessed by ghost lovers um and then they end up like kissing or whatever um i mean there's nothing spectacular but it just reminded me of this and stuff i was like man joss whedon or whoever writes both those episodes love to you know put ghosts in angel's body and his lover Mm -hmm. i um (laughs) i wrote that it's kind of sad that they have that in Angel. I feel bad for Kangel because I feel like it's just like another symptom of Kangel being such a knockoff of a Angel. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing. I, I'm i going to speak up for Kangel fans because right, I'm ahead. not one. I'll play devil's advocate. Go ahead. I, Someone should. <laughs> I think that they were, that Kangel was given a bad foot. I think that Buffy, not Buffy, Cordelia and Angel could have been really good. And I think that they could have been something special. But I think that unfortunately, the writers, one, it's hard to be a follow up to Buffy. It just is. Um, But two, it's also like the writers, I think, felt the need to make 
Cordelia a warrior in order to make her quote-unquote worthy of Angel's love, which is stupid because Cordelia was already mm-hmm. such a cool character and didn't need to become a Buffy-esque character mm-hmm. to be Angel's love interest. Yeah. And so I think that that already kind of screwed with their love well, story. Well, she lost – Cordelia lost everything that was intrinsic yes. to Cordelia. Yeah. She just yes. became this person that was supposed to just support yes. Angel. It felt very you know? shoehorned. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is that, like, not only did they kind of change her character a little bit too much to be similar to Buffy, like a warrior-type character, they also just made her lose all of her individuality. Like, she she just became kind of what Sarah and Tabby were talking about. She became, like, an angel cheerleader. Um, mm-hmm. And not to mention, they gave her so many storylines that were almost like a rewrite of a Buffy and Angel storyline. Like, like this this episode and that episode in Angel is a perfect example where they were doing stuff that was very similar to what he did with Buffy, but unfortunately, they were better written with Buffy and Angel. Like, they just – and the chemistry was better. It was better more and earned, like, I think, is yes. the difference. Because Waiting the Wings is a beautiful episode. It's fantastic. The yes, problem is, yes. is that mm-hmm. there was a beautiful buildup of their – relationship as a friends mm-hmm. as friends mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it was like okay we're gonna make it romantic and you're like well, well wait a minute like i don't feel like yeah, we're there I liked yet it better as friends yeah. yeah and the hard part is is like because everyone's opinion is valid um and i don't want to people i don't want people to feel like i can't listen to their podcast because i don't like buffy and angel as much as i like buffy or i keep doing that angel and cordelia um so I understand. I may not agree. I have my preferences, but I will say I I think that they really were unfair to Cordelia and Angel. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they gave Absolutely. them a good chance as a couple. They they really just they gave them the bottom of the barrel. I don't know how else to put it in a non like southern analogy. Bottom but of like the barrel. is that a yeah, southern analogy? I feel like it is. I feel like it is somehow. Um but I don't know. I just – I don't know how I got on the topic of that, but I – I don't know. Buffy and Angel just – it's a hard thing to top. Um. So the band that sang in the beginning of the episode on the bronze, I talked about – her name is Angie Hart, and it's um, splendid. She – or the band actually appears in two more episodes on Buffy. They play in The Freshman when Buffy's kind of wandering we are, the bronze. We are the lucky ones. That's the one. No, that's a different one. No, I know, but that's whenever I think of the beginning of season four, I always think of that song because that's when her and Parker. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't know why that song is just constantly You're not the lucky in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> not that one. Um, and then the other song is Conversations with Dead People. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. They tend to show up in more melancholy, reflective, mm. and really like, kind of like lonely episodes. It's really mm. interesting. It's just their vibe, I guess. Now that song stick on my head tab. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, and then obvi- there's the other obvious one is this is Willow's first kind of dabbling in magic, mm-hmm. which I'm yes. so excited we're finally yes. here now. I have so much to talk about when it, in regards to that. Okay, well, that's a bit dramatic. I have like two things to talk about. But 
I know. Sorry, Sarah. I totally just stole your moment. Go ahead. I'm done. Go ahead. Take it. Okay. I noticed so much about it because I feel like we've been talking about how she's slowly getting there. And I noted two things. One, this is the first time we've ever seen her mention an interest in Mm -hmm. dark magic. She talks about how she wants to converse with dead spirits, which is dark magic. And two, this is the first time Willow has kept a secret from Giles magically. So when they do the spell, she keeps a secret from Giles, which the parallels, because it is inevitably Giles who saves her in this episode, Mm -hmm. even even though she lied to him. And then in season six... Mm -hmm. It is Giles who comes back mm-hmm. and is inevitably who who mm-hmm. ends up helping her getting back mm-hmm. on the path. But also there's really there's really bad coping mechanisms that that Willow just exemplifies in this episode in general. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of it is like kind of seen through her conversations with how Buffy should handle things. Um and or yeah. she's the one who's just taking reins and trying to fix things in areas that shouldn't be fixed. Um, or that she's not fully well versed to prepare and yeah, fix it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I was thinking, kind of, you kind of reminded me of that tabs when we were talking about in the spoiler free section mm-hmm. when you know at the beginning of the yep. in the the episode of the bronze and Willow's like, well, just yep. start dating, kind of move on. It feels a lot like season six Willow, yeah. who's all like Buffy, like be happy we brought you back Mm -hmm. instead of being sympathetic to the fact that Mm. Buffy's going through depression and kind of working through with that and I think Mm. there's I think there's an uncomfortableness that Willow has when it comes to people's other people's uh, pain the the other people's pain and she kind of wants to move past it and even Mm -hmm. in herself like she kind of suppresses it and we talked about how she goes and she does things she looks up knowledge she keeps herself busy so she doesn't have to think about it and mm-hmm. i think that um that's the whole dark willow arc that is her suppressing her pain so that she doesn't have to think about it and that's what makes you know that moment with xander so beautiful but yeah, yeah. and like okay i don't know it's hard to bring this up because i willow was like my second favorite character for like years and years and i think that this past year having to do the podcast has made me kind of move her down in my rank mm-hmm. of favorite characters. Um, just because I'm I'm witnessing a lot of really unhealthy things that she's doing as in season two and what we've gone through so far and then viewing it in later seasons. It's not just like looking at season six Willow. It's like the entirety of Will's character and the consistency of it. It's not that like season six was out of character. Um, but this episode is like a symptom of the real illness with her because one of my big things with her is that she kind of um this it's again if i bring this up it's just gonna really piss people off but whatever it's all like, good. it's our podcast <laughs> it, it's like and again this is coming from somebody who adores willow's character so this is hard to bring up but it's like i've seen a pattern of buffy just really really going through it and her just gaslighting her and or bringing it on herself or how she's hurt other people in the process a good example of this is either dead men's party or which one's dead Man's everyone party? gets mad at her after coming back from angel dying the second episode, and they throw that the huge episode party the they throw the huge party in her house and are like well why aren't you happy buffy like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i oh my gosh i forgot about that it makes me Irrationally. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll save it. Oh, bottle it. God. Bottle it for season three. 
Destiny, you want to come back for uh, Deadman's party? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, but like a exam- good example in that episode is like when she's talking to Buffy up in the room and she's like, don't you think I've been going through things? I'm dating somebody. I'm like, you know, da- dabbling in witchcraft. And she's, I'm like, girl, those are all life, new things in your life. She's going through mourning. She's going through trauma. She's going through carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders. Nothing in comparison. You just have to have, have a conversation of being like, hey, this is what's new in my life. That's not like, like I need to process. This is a lot of stuff, you know? Um, But also one thing that kind of gets brushed under the rug that no one talks about that I just can never let go in my mind is um right in the beginning of season three i think it's beauty and the beasts um where giles is trying to find like that fake spell because he can tell buffy's holding stuff back and isn't telling him mm. that angel regained his soul before she killed him and he could tell that she's mm. off and so willow's like i can help you with the spell i can help you with the spell i've been like really like practicing honing in my witchcraft skills and she's very much like i want to help but only because i want to show up my power and i want to dabble in it and then mm. at the end like buffy tells him what happened has this whole like heartbreaking scene that just like like every time i watch that scene like my eyes just like you know, welled up just because it's so emotional. And you could tell that she's just like holding this weight on her. She walks out of the room. And then the first thing Willow says is, I can really help you with this spell, Giles. Like, tell me what I need to do. But it's very much like, I want to help you because I'm powerful. And he's like, well, there was no spell. And then that's it. She doesn't go and talk to Buffy. She doesn't check in. It's like, when Buffy's going through a lot of things, this is not even talking about season six. Like there's instances where, other people are going through pain and if it doesn't affect willow herself she's not a good friend when it comes to those things yeah and you see this in um in something blue i was just watching this mm-hmm. the other day where you know obviously willow is in pain she's mourning oz leaving and stuff and she wants buffy to come in and spend time with her and stuff which is not bad it's not wrong that is totally reasonable and buffy's like i'm so sorry i have to go like catch spike who's escaped and stuff like that and willow's so upset she casts that spell and then everyone around her is affected by it because she is mad that they're not as upset as she is and it's like, or that everyone's not catering selfish. to her emotions. Like every single person. Yes, they're not dropping everything for yes. her. Yes, and here's the thing: I've been through a very heart wrenching breakup. I think every most people in the world have. That's not nothing new for me. But like, it's like you can't expect everyone to stop and walk along every single phase that you go through when it comes to breakup people are going to be there for you as much as they can be but you have to carry yourself through it it's up to you you cannot sit there in the pain and allow it to control you and it's like when like she kept i mean it's a funny episode i love the episode but it's like she says hurtful things to every single person and like just nothing happens after that. I don't know. There's a difference between your friends like sitting with you and helping you, but then also saying, I can't be there every second of right. the day and do like, yeah. and none of them were being insensitive. They had, to, they had parts of their lives that still mm-hmm. had to move forward too. But it, yeah. And I mean, we all, we've all seen, you know, something blue. So we understand, but yeah, no, that's a really good point tabs. So that's very insightful. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, I don't know. I don't think I I have as strong feelings as Tabby does when it comes to Willow's behavior and on that respect. Um, but I do I do agree with the kernel of that that um, Willow definitely does struggle with 
being a little what's the word compassionate? I, I think tone deaf Compa- I wouldn't say compassionate. I think maybe mine would be tone deaf, where it's very just like she only wants to help people the way that she thinks is best rather they than need. putting herself in their it's shoes and being like, what do At they At the end need? of the day, Willow's biggest thing is control. Yep. I was just about to say, we've talked about how Willow really struggles with control. And I think that part of like compassion, like Destiny said and everything, is letting go of what you think is best, that controlling aspect, and putting yourself and saying, okay, what is best for them? What do they need? And I think that, because I think that Willow is a good friend, and I think that Willow is a good character, and I think that she has so many good things about her. Um, But I do think she really does struggle with that aspect of, okay, put my, my stuff aside. What does Buffy need? What does Xander need? What does... You know, X, Y, Z. And just being able to, like, separate, like, because it's not always black and white. You know, like, how your friends are going to mourn, how they're going to handle a breakup, how they're going to handle a death in their life is not going to be the same way you do. And so even though, like, being able to empathize is a great way because you understand that feeling – but how you deal with that feeling is going to be different from how others are going to be able to. And I think that she probably does have a hard time. I think for in Willow, she has been like in a way sheltered or just like kind of in her own world that she hasn't really known much. And then when she got to be friends with Buffy and I mean, I guess Anders kind of always been there, but Buffy really has brought like light in the realities of the world, you know, like the goods, the bads, the uglies and everything. And so for her, she's just, I think for her, she's just like, okay, I need to still stay in my like control zone and not allow chaos that Buffy brings. Um, Because if in her head she can have that control, then there's still some sort of stability. And that's just like an observation. Like I can totally be off on that, but um, I think it goes with a lot of people who have that same mentality of, um, whenever there's a problem, like, especially if they're problem fixers and they think, oh, well, let me just help you. Let me just give you my input. Let me just do this. And then it's like, that's not necessarily what I need. Like, what if I just needed you to listen? I don't need you to fix my problem, you know? Yeah. Well, and let's look at who Willow's mom is. We meet her for one episode, (laughs) but her mom is a psychologist who's a ironically, very not in tune with her own daughter and kind of ignores her. And so you get the sense that a lot of um, responsibility was thrust on Willow and she holds high standards for her daughter, but is very absent. And so Willow is forced to be extremely responsible and have kind of her life in control and live a certain way. Um, And so that tends to lead to a girl who feels repressed emotionally and feels like she has to be in control of every aspect of her life, including her emotions. And I mean, I think it makes complete sense why Willow is the way that she is when you have an emotionally absent parent who requires perfection. All right, let's talk about Jasmine. I know we're all so excited for this. <laughs> um, Wait, huh? Who's Jasmine? No, I, know, I know who Jasmine is, but why are we talking about her? I don't want to talk about her. <laughs> well, Who's just Jasmine? wait. I will talk about I will talk about it. All right. So in this episode, we talk about Jasmine, the flower that is growing inside the garden outside of the mansion. And you have Angel giving Drusilla the tour. And Drusilla says, oh, look, Jasmine. And Angel says, night blooming. And Drusilla says, like us. 
us. In throughout the Buffy verse, Jasmine is used very frequently to kind of be a picture of vampirism. And um, it's also ironic that the flower Jasmine grows here in the mansion, but it also grows outside of the hotel, the Hyperion in Angel, the series. You have um, uh, in episode uh, season two, episode nine, The Trial, Darla sees the jasmine outside and says, Jasmine, it blooms at night. I remember what that was like. And that's when Darla's really wrestling with she's human, but she wants to be a vampire again. In season four, episode 18, Shiny Happy People, Jasmine, who, I mean, the the gal that comes, she's the one that's reborn from Cordelia, that horrible storyline in season four that everyone typically does not like to remember, but unfortunately I'm bringing it up, hello. Um, but before she takes her name, she goes outside to talk to Angel, and she says, what is that smell? It's lovely. And Angel says, must be the jasmine. And she says, night blooming, so beautiful, so lonely, like you, talking about Angel. And then at the end of that episode, she chooses a name for herself, and she chooses Jasmine, making a very specific correlation with Angel, trying to say, you know, I'm lonely too, uh, trying to make, and there's a, there's a lot of correlations between Angel and Jasmine stuff too, which I don't really want to talk about because I don't like that whole storyline. But I think it's interesting how they have like this running theme <laughs> throughout the Buffyverse of this flower, um, and in particular with Drusilla in this episode, because you have, again, the contrast of this twisted innocence in Drusilla as she loves flowers, but she likes this twisted flower that's night blooming just like she is. And um, and then obviously, again, you know, Drusilla's love of flowers and gardens and how she eventually buries Darla and stuff. It's, it's just all great and consistent and interwoven. So get off my soapbox. I wanted to talk about the line, I loved you with my last oh breath, my because the amount, I don't even think the writers knew how all-encompassing this phrase would be, because, like, not only can it talk about when he dies at the end of season two, and how he literally, his, like, Five seconds before he dies, he comes back as Angel, you know, and is, like, saying, like, Buffy, like, oh, I love you. It also talks about when he turns into Angelus and his last words as Angel are literally mm -hmm. Buffy calling out in the streets. Not only that, what comes to my mind is in season one of Angel, when Angel becomes human, and it's him and it's Buffy, and... Literally, his last breath as a human being is saying, like, Buffy, Buffy, it's not enough time, pretty much. And so it's, like, three different times Angel's last breath is for Buffy. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, oh, my gosh, such a pack, like, impactful, powerful line. Yeah, and, well, and kind of going off of that a little bit, um, we have the line where Buffy says he couldn't make her love him, so he killed her sicko. And then Xander said he killed a person and killed himself. Pretty much two of the dumbest things you could do. This is interesting because Buffy will kill Angel at the end of the season and sacrifice or slash kill herself in season five. And so like Xander saying, those are two of the dumbest things you could do. And those are two of the things that Buffy herself ends up doing by the end of the season, obviously for very different reasons. Like she sacrificed herself for the world. She sacrificed herself for Dawn. Um, but I think 
that Buffy is forever haunted by her killing of Angel. Um, and I think this episode kind of talks a little bit about that. Um, and I think that There was a conversation we were having on um, Instagram, actually, where someone said that she firmly believes that Buffy is never fully herself after she kills Angel in this season. Like, we see her come back a little bit in season three, but she's never fully herself. And it leads to another reason of her wanting to seek peace in season – end of season five. So, yeah. I mean, that makes sense because that's like – in all honesty, that's probably one of the most traumatic things she's ever had to do. Like, I mean, you know, losing her mother is traumatic, but like – I mean, okay, so having had lost my own mother, <laughs> like I, I get like it's it's traumatic in its own separate entity. Mm-hmm, Whereas mm-hmm. this, like when you're battling, like physically you're fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And then two, like, had he not gotten his soul back, like it would have been totally different. It would have been mm-hmm. a completely different outcome. But the fact that she got to say goodbye to him, the fact that she had her goodbye, the fact that she, you know, had to kill him Mm -hmm. and there was literally no other option (laughs) like it was just i have to kill you and i'm so sorry i think she was mentally prepared to kill angelus i don't think she was mentally prepared to kill angel Mm -hmm. oh 100 percent. oh yeah 100 percent. yeah but i also think that going along the lines of kind of what you were saying sarah about like how i was talking about forgiveness and anything i didn't realize how astronomically important this episode is in regards to season Mm -hmm. three Mm-hmm. Because, like, you see Buffy struggling to forgive Angel, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, you see her just really angry and mad at Angel. Not Angelus, Angel. Because she has that thing of, like, did you know this was going to happen? And, you know, I'm I'm mad at myself because I shouldn't have let this happen. And there's just so much anger and guilt going on. And you're starting to, by the end of the episode, you see her start to kind of let go of some of that. And I think that... An episode like this is really part of the reason why when Angel comes back in season three, she's able to kind of like work through forgiving him because she had time mm. in episodes like this to kind of work through it. Mm. That's a really good point. We've seen episodes like Beauty and the Beast or whatever. Obviously, it's at the end of the episode where he comes, she's shocked. But I also think that like an episode like that and an episode like this kind of helped to have her forgive. Mm. Yeah. Um, did anybody catch the fact that Xander pretty much gave away the entire plot of season three in this episode? <laughs> he says, no. So you have this scene with Snyder talking about the mayor and the very next scene is Willow giving the plan and Xander goes, nuke the school. I like that. And it like pretty much gives away the entire plot of season three because they oh nuke the school. God. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? Okay. Do you think they knew that that was the ending? No. Like, yeah. Or do you- um, Joss always knew that was the ending for season three. Oh, wow. He's like a whole season ahead. Which is ironic because this is the most obvious mention to date of the mayor. Yeah. The most yeah. obvious one. Right. It was the scene yeah. right before that they talked about the mayor. Yeah. No. Okay. So Joss knew yep. what he was planning on doing with season three. And he he knew how the show overall was going to end too. That's why you have foreshadowing of Dawn from season three on as early yeah, yeah season three. he had a plan for it you know i don't think he had as much of a plan for season six and seven but he knew where how it was going to end um which i think hello i feel like you need to have a plan for your tv shows and i'm yeah like i i've noticed that they're a lot a lot better than this is kind of a small tangent but like i think it's either jj abrams or one of the directors who directed uh star wars who's come out and said oh yeah well the main pro- reason why seven eight and nine didn't work is we didn't have a plan and everyone was like yeah 
They didn't have a plan. They just made the first movie and then they're like made the second movie and then the third movie suddenly had to tie everything together. And I'm like, when you create cohesive storylines with TV shows and movies, like you have to have an overarching Mm -hmm. plan because how are you going to know where you're supposed to go? How are you supposed to take Mm -hmm. your character from here to here? Like our our audience needs more. Yeah, exactly. So I just thought that was really funny. Also, the quick blip of um, Cordelia in that same scene saying, are you crazy? I saw that movie, even the priest died, and how Cordelia will help Angel and Wesley with an exorcism on season oh, one gosh. of Angel. It's just, that was yeah. That a scary episode. I'm just going to That say. was a very terrifying episode. So I have a question, and this may totally be me, like, missing a lot of what happened in season three. Um, but did we figure out – what was happening with Snyder and why he had information and what his plan was with like the mayor, because they never, at least to my knowledge, never explained it. And it was very much like, what is he, what's he doing? What's going on type of thing. I feel like I've had past thoughts of like, this kind of was just thrown in there and like, it's never really actually explained in the future, but I kind of want to say like in technicalities, like in the scene that we witnessed at least, where Snyder is talking with what is he? What was like a detective, like or chief? I, don't know. I think I don't he was know. a guy sent from the mayor and to kind of check up. He had on like things. a badge. Yeah, so he's probably some sort of yeah, maybe a detective. Yeah, okay, somebody that works for the mayor. There, yeah, yeah. So does Snyder clearly? Um, but I don't even think Snyder actually like directly works for the mayor. I think he's just like. The mayor hired him to be the principal of Sunnydale mm-hmm. because he was supposedly able to handle this. And so I feel like if we had more, like, backstory for where Snyder came from or anything like that, that might have, like, helped explain, like, his purpose for coming to Sunnydale. But overall, I don't really think it's, like, I think that's it. Like, it's just left at, like, Snyder is there, then he gets eaten. Snyder doesn't know that the mayor is going to ascend. He doesn't know he's the big bad. He's not in right. on everything with graduation. You even right. have that. I don't remember what episode it is. The one where they're um, in the school and um, the mayor shows up and he has that box of uh, spidery things and then Faith yeah. throws it at the wall. And then you have that hard conversation between the mayor about Angel and Buffy's relationship. But then Snyder comes in and mm-hmm. you could tell the mayor immediately backs into the shadows because he's trying to stay out because he doesn't want Snyder to know certain things. So I don't th- I think you're right Destiny. I don't think Snyder's on the mayor's payroll in the direct chain of like the direct right. line. I think that the I think Snyder is basically just a pawn and he doesn't even know it. He yep. just knows that the mayor knows that it's a hellmouth, but he isn't aware that the mayor is actually evil. Right. And I know all of this I think that just makes me more confused cuz I'm like then the, mm. we don't really find out what is happening. Like does he yeah. know that Buffy is the slayer? Does he not? Like, is mm. that why he like, I wish that we had known. I wish that yeah. we had yeah. figured out that he knew Buffy was a slayer. That why he, that's why he's giving her so much of a hard time. But there's so many opportunities they could have used to at least make him a little bit more villainous, but they yeah. didn't. And so it just made me a little bit more confused because I'm just like, there's episodes like this where I'm like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, why are you out for Buffy? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty much shown that Snyder – I think Snyder knows that she's a slayer simply because you have band candy where Snyder goes and hangs out with him and he's not shocked at all that Buffy's all knocking people out. He's there while she's actually, like, part of the slaying. So I think Snyder knows that she's a slayer. I think so. But I also think, too, like, he was just desperate for friends and he's like, hey, you (laughs) (laughs) know. He wouldn't say anything either way. I'm just going to tag along. Yeah. Right. That is true. He's like, he's not going to say anything either way. 
Yeah. He's a spaz. <laughs> so he's just like, spaz. Yeah. you drive like a spaz. Summer. Or sometimes <laughs> you drive like a spaz. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that Snyder was really funny as a reoccurring character, but I think he was also kind of a missed opportunity. But I think that was due to the fact that he still was on Star Trek at this point. So his schedule was very torn between both shows. So I think he would have been on more if he wasn't. But yeah, he's he's great for what he he is and for the purpose that he serves in being kind of like a foil – or not a foil, but like to – prevent Buffy from doing certain things, but definitely kind of a missed storyline opportunity for sure. Um, okay, let's talk about Xander for a second. So Xander makes this line that I really, or says this line that I really love, he can't live with it, Buff, he's dead, mm-hmm. which I is incredibly insightful because I think Xander is understanding that Buffy's talking about Angel in this. I th- if Cordelia is able to pick it up, I think Xander would be able to pick it up too. Um, yeah. But I wish Xander would have remembered this later on in Becoming and in season three because he likes to say that Angel is responsible for Jenny's death for all this other stuff. But then he says here how Angel can't live with it because he's dead. It seems like, once again, another sim- like symptom of Xander's hypocrisy and selective memory. I don't it's think a little that frustrating. It's, I don't th- – I because I think that Xander is intelligent, and I think that it is really easy to be wise when you are emotionally detached from a situation. And so I think that right now, Xander is able to be detached because his jealousy is not clouding his vision anymore. Because Angel is dead. At this point, Angelus is the only person living, so he is not a quote-unquote threat to Xander anymore. Um, And I think that that's why he makes that stupid decision at the end of season two, is because his jealousy comes (laughs) in and clouds his judgment. And I will fight anyone on that subject. Sure. No, that's fine. But I have a question I know. Leah brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, here it is. Uh, no, but my question for you is I don't feel like – I feel like you can say that when you're making an emotionally rash decision. But with Xander, that phrase, the to- word verbiage that he chose to use, all of that stuff felt very intentional just by the clear fact of Willow told him what to say and then he had that entire time to walk to Buffy. Then when he talks to Buffy, there's a very clear pause when we're like, okay, what are you going to say? And then he chooses in his mind what he's going to say. So it felt like Xander was making a conscious choice that was very premeditated. It wasn't just a blinding, passionate, I'm just going to – I'm jealous. I'm just going to say this. I think it was intentional. But I – no, no, no. I think it was intentional as well. But I think jealousy can be intentional. I think that right now Xander is able to kind of be more – you know, kind of objective because he's not clouded with jealousy. But I think at the end, he gets this rush of like, you know, and he does end up thinking it through and ends up making a decision that he thought about. But I think it was mainly like he felt the feelings of what it felt like to have to have to have like Angel back in his life. And then all the feelings he had in season one where he wanted to get rid of Angel, he finally had that opportunity and his little boy side took over and he was like, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to get rid of Angel because it's the same type of mentality that we talked about how we don't like in Willow where it's wanting to quote unquote help someone, but only in a way that you think is helpful. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, Xander's controlling the situation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He mm-hmm. thinks that he's helping Buffy because he thinks that Angel is bad for Buffy. But ultimately, A, he's not. And B, that's not Xander's decision to make. And that's yep. also why I think that Xander has a hard time with Angel in season three. I think it's because, one, he feels guilty for the fact that he practically got him killed. And B, I think it's And that, also- like, never came out, right? Oh, yeah. Like- no, because he's a little slimy worm. Um, well, like, that Willow didn't even call him out on it. Or, like, well, not that she would know. The only time that Buffy brings it up is in season six. Selfless. Yeah. Selfless when she's, like... I know season what you did. Seven. It's season seven, selfless. Yeah, season it's seven. when she has to go kill Anya, and Xander's like, whoa, 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 I don't want to. And she's like, she's out there killing people, and they make the parallel between Angel, and they're like, oh, you, you've you never had to make this hard of a decision. You've never had – and she's like, I killed Angel, and then she brings up, and she's mm-hmm. like, kick his ass. Do you remember saying that? And Willow goes, I never mm-hmm. said that. And then they just brush over. I was like, yep. Nah. <laughs> Why bring it up if you're not going to delve into it? I know. You're just not going to address this, guys. We need closure. Yeah. No, I agree that it's jealousy. It's just – I think there's a difference between speaking like passionately and blindly just quit without thinking and like premeditated jealousy. And I think Xander was premeditated premeditated. jealousy. And that's what makes me so irritated. It was a season – it was two seasons of premeditating He tried every single way he could to get Angel out of the way. Yeah. And I think – and we'll definitely get there, but it's very unfortunate because that moment is what defines Xander for the rest of the show. That is the moment that people remember when they think about Xander is that moment that he tells Buffy – and unfortunately, I think that's a lot of reason why people hate Xander is because of that moment. (laughs) I mean, I hate him for a lot of reasons, but – that scene specifically makes me go feral. It was yeah. definitely one of the most apparent, like, really not good character arcs for him. Like, it was just mm. very it was in petty. Your face. Like, this was awful. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Because then, like, right after, what's the aftermath of it? It's Buffy is in true despair. Like, and if he had prevented. told her. If he had told her, she could have held off until instead she was in, like trying to actually like, kill him. Could you? There's so many like I think so that's many bad things knowing that, that is what makes Dead Men Party make boil my blood even more because he did that on purpose as a petty thing. Then she had to have trauma because she wasn't told that he was going to be Angel. And then yeah. he goes, "Buffy, listen to your mom. Buffy, we've been going through this. Blah 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 blah." And I'm like. Xander, nothing makes me more angry. Like, I've been ragging on him for a long time, but I just get so angry when I think of that. Mike, you are so infuriating. You purposely did this, and then she had trauma, had to kill her boyfriend, and then he get mad at her. And here's the thing. No one can tell me that I have not tried to be objective when it comes to Xander. I have tried my very best to give him the benefit of the doubt and to point out when he does good things. But when that episode comes, I'm letting everyone who likes Xander know all hell will we'll put a trigger warning at the beginning. No, if, you're a, if you are a Xander stan and you cannot hear me bag on him, don't listen to that episode. Straight yep. up. But there I mean, you, you can't like not watch that episode and not expect not people to be upset, you know? Oh, yeah. All right. So the last thing or one of the last things I wanted to talk about was so the emotional scene between Buffy and Angel at the end of this episode very closely mirrors 
the breakup scene in the prom. I had that down. This is literally a foreshadowing of exactly why they broke up in the prom. Well, the dialogue is almost, it's very mm-hmm. similar too. And I kind of re- wanted to mm-hmm. read it for you real fast. So, okay. So Buffy, you know, you can't make me disappear just because you say it's over. Angel, I just want you to be able to have some kind of normal life. We can never have that. Don't you see? Buffy, I don't give a damn about a normal life. I'm going crazy not seeing you. I think about you every minute. In the prom, Angel says, I've been thinking about our future, and the more I do, the more I feel like us, you and me being together is unfair to you. You deserve more. You deserve something outside of demons and darkness. You should be someone who can take you into the light, someone who can make love to you. Buffy, I don't care about that. Angel, you will, and children. Um, And then he says, you have no idea how fast it goes, Buffy. Before you know it, you'll want it all a normal life. Buffy, I'll never have a normal life. Angel, right, you'll always be the slayer, but that's all the more reason why you should have a real relationship instead of this. And then, um, you know, Angel, I am sorry, Buffy. I love you. You know how much I love you. It kills me to say this. Buffy, then then don't. Um, I'm trying to do what's right here. I'm trying to think with my head instead of my heart, as Angel said. And then back in this episode, you have the Angel saying, I know, but it's over. It has to be. And then Buffy saying, come back here. We're not finished. You don't care anymore. Angel, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I feel, Buffy. Then tell me you don't love me. Say it. Angel, is that what you need to hear? Will that help? I don't. And then in the prom, it's the, you know, I love you, but I don't want a life together. It's like he says, I don't, I don't want my life to be with you. And she's like, I can't believe you're breaking up with me. You don't want to be with me. And the the implication is he doesn't want that, but he's saying that because that's what's best for Buffy. Mm-hmm. And that's very similar. He's saying that because he knows that's easier for her to cope with them being them breaking up if he says those things, which is mirroring what happens in this episode. Yep. It's just, it's really amazing how they just yep. fit together very well. Yep. I like, oh my gosh, I put that in my notes too. Thank you for bringing that up, Sarah. Just because I feel like if there was exactly what their relationship looks like in season three, it would be this scene. It's just that tug and pull being like, I can't stay away from you. I love you so much, but our relationship is doomed. And so I think, I think it's hard because season three, there are some really, really sweet banjo moments, but it's also just your, your heart breaks over and over again every time they're on screen together because there's this tenderness when they're around each other because they just are holding on so tight, but it's just not, it's just not, there's no longevity. It just can't work. So I think they both just care for each other so much, but it's just so much pain when there is some sweet moments in season three, because you know that the characters can feel it. Every time there's some good moments, there's a part of them that's just like, like, I want this to happen so bad, but they've already gone through everything in season two that just reminds them all the time that this isn't going to be a real relationship. Mm -hmm. It's like they're holding back essentially. Like they're not giving a hundred percent, which is crazy because it's like when you think about how amazing this relationship already is, what would a hundred percent really be? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think we got a little bit more of a glimpse of like them fully giving themselves obviously in season two than we would season three, but that's why they're not able to fully embrace that. And I think Angel knew that. and I mean, they both knew that. But I think, obviously, Angel, or Buffy just really wants to hold on tightly to it. Mm-hmm. That she's not going to let it go. And she's still, what, 17 in season three? No, 17? 18? 18. She's, um, turns 18, yeah. She turns 18. And so she's still a teenager. 
and still wants to have this relationship. But I think Angel knows, like, I have to be the mature one. I have to be the one that cuts it off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That the innocence of the relationship is kind of gone after the the second season, and so the third season is we still love each other desperately, but we both like have to be so careful and cautious. And yeah, it's very sad. All right. So from here on out, Angel changes subtly. Up until now, he's been fixated, or I should say Angelus changes subtly. Up until now, from Innocence on, he's been fixated on Buffy solely. Um, his sole intent is tormenting her, even making fun of Spike for his way of bluntly killing and not like, you know, taking his time and stuff. But after he washes, I say that with quotes, he washes himself clean of Buffy, things kind of change. Um, he seems to kind of do it l- like both physically and literally, in the sense that he now his priorities kind of shift. Instead of trying to torment Buffy, he starts trying to destroy the world. Um, he even tells Buffy that it's not all about her and becoming part two, which is very different from passion when Willow tells Buffy that she's all that he thinks about. We know from innocence that it's the feeling like a man part of his relationship that he can't forgive. So could it be that this scenario, what happened in this episode, actually kind of touched Angelus a little bit um, or affected him in a certain way? Was it Angel that came to the surface or was it just James talking? Like, And the fact that Buffy seems to sense Angel briefly by even asking Angel Angel, it kind of makes you think, did Angel ever come to the surface at some point? Um, And then it's possible that Angelus felt that he needed to destroy the world in order to take drastic action and getting himself the farthest away from redemption that he possibly could. So it's quite possible that Angelus felt the effects of Angel's soul in that moment um, and felt like bits of humanity and is like, I have to destroy the world. One is kind of like a ritual cleansing. I need to become as evil as possible. But two, like I have to actually, because the whole point was destroy the world so we can go to hell. And if I can go to hell, then I don't have to worry about redemption ever. And so I thought that was a really interesting take. And I'm curious what you guys think about that. I think, oh man, it is a lot. Huh. I don't know. I feel like part of when you say that, like when you say like, did Angel come out? Like when, like, I don't know if you guys had come to this realization, but it's like literally like Angel literally has two demons inside him. Like he has James, he has Angelus and they're wrestling with each other to have control of this vessel right now. Um, So I don't know like that. Like, I know that that's, like, the realization of it, but, like, I feel like I just had, like, the epiphany of that. And so, like, realizing, like, okay, maybe Angel did have um, a grab. I mean, I wouldn't be completely shocked or, you know, think otherwise if that wasn't the case because it would make sense why he's really, like, oh, not only was it love, but it was love, like, actual love for Buffy from Angel. Like, not just, like the superficial love of James and Grace, mm. but not that that was superficial, but like, oh, no, that's a really interesting, just like take. over the top, but it was yeah. the legit love. Like, Oh, I have these feelings for Buffy. I don't want that. And like the actual humanity that he doesn't want at all. That's an interesting take. Cause in the dark age that you see, Igon wrestling with Angelus angels, you see Angelus's face come to the forefront as he's wrestling with Igon. So is it possible that James came in and was, in a, in a sen- essence, wrestling with Angelus and Angel briefly came to the surface? Like, well, I think Angel has a sense, like Angel's, Angel and James have the same mission, which yeah. is 
to complete this. And Jealous wants nothing to do with it. So I feel like James wouldn't have any issue if that were the case where Angel's like, okay, I want a little piece over here. I want to kiss Buffy. I want to, you know, all ah, what's up, Leah? Uh, sorry, I, I just had a thought where it's like, do you guys think that maybe James called out to Angel because he could resonate with Angel's pain and that's why Angel was in the school? Oh, oh my gosh. No, because, because Destiny, yeah. you just brought up this out of me because you're right. Angel and James have the same thing. So if he yeah. was there and then when James was in him, what if it was both James and Angel speaking? Yeah. And that's yeah. why they continue to kiss after James left, because that was but a little also, bit left of Angel. But also, oh, my God. An- <laughs> also, Angelus. Angelus got mad at the end and said love. It wasn't James and Grace's love. It could have been Angel and Buffy's love. And that was disgusting Uh, him. And and that would make sense. (laughs) That would make sense with your theory, Sarah, where like he stopped being obsessed with Buffy because he was like, I don't even want to give any chance to have Angel come out. I want to go so far where Angel is dead, where Buffy is dead, where I have no chance of it. That makes so much sense. Yeah, no, it really does. And I think it's completely consistent with everything that they showed us. And even if especially the fact that they have the same mission, I think that that is that's mind blowing. And we've seen powerful entities be able to kind of suppress whoever is at the forefront angel or angelus before it's canon it's in the the same season um and the fact that buffy was able to connect and and stuff i think and then the fact that she says angel like she and we know yeah. she can sense him i think that's a huge well, not only that you know how they kiss <laughs> yeah <laughs> like how did angel know exactly where buffy was gonna be drew yeah, no, Drew, so- Drew, Drew was vague. She said uh, the gates are opening or something like that. And then he just showed up at the school. Well, I mean, he wasn't possessed at that point. He was still Angelus. But- no, I, right, I'm just right. saying, but if James was calling out to Angel, maybe Angel subconsciously knew where to oh, go. Oh, yeah, if, you're, if we're saying Buffy herself was Because wasn't Buffy actually- herself, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so Angelus just showed under- I don't think she was, but Angelus just showed up at the school. Right. Which most of the time, Angelus has been following her. That's why we, like, that's why she, he usually just shows up. But this time, he wasn't even close to her. How would he know to go directly to the school? And I don't know. I guess I just put it off that, like, she knew. But I also don't believe the fact that wasps or whatever it is don't like vampires. What if it was literally, like, James let him in? That's how I kind of viewed it, as James let him in. Yeah. Yeah, and Angelus is like, woohoo! Yeah, wasps don't like me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like for stroking his ego. He's like, yeah, vampire. <laughs> they can't buy me. Angelus has been completely Plato full, where it's like angels in the back, like this moron. I know, right? But I mean, low key, that's kind of always the situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, guy, that's a really, really astute take, both Leah and Destiny. Like we're like idiots. This theory is like completely wrong and all this. <laughs> like, yeah, big brain. <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's really good. I think it's really astute. And I think it actually like makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think that's why it was so impactful for Buffy and um and why she ha- was able to get so much closure because it wasn't just like some random 
ghost telling her what she needs to hear. She was actually hearing it from the person she needed to hear it from the most. Oh, the last thing that we have is what do you guys think Dawn would be doing in this episode? Why? I'm sorry. <laughs> do you not like Dawn? I Dawn is like my most least favorite character. Really? In More than world. like Kennedy? Yeah. What? what the? Yeah. Dawn oh has so God. much trauma. But yes. Dawn has so much trauma. <laughs> so girl. No, she puts it on herself. I'm sorry. I just Her mom uh, died at a young age. I know. And witness Tara dying. Like the poor girl went through so many parent figures that died. She in just saw her. her body. Didn't she just find her body? She didn't actually see Tara die. Yeah, but still, Willow she said so dramatic. What? Okay, that yes, was her second yes. parental figure to die. I'm just talking about before season five, like Third. just before anything happens. But she was a before teenage the mom girl. dies. Before anything, exactly. Was Buffy like that? <laughs> but she was, was a Willow slayer. Like Willow had other issues. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Dawn was way younger. Yeah. Dawn was in middle school. We never saw Buffy in middle yeah. school. Don was I'm in junior sorry. high. I just can't. Uh, it's okay. Dawn All right, you don't have to. You don't another have to level of no. <laughs> well, then think of the most annoying situation that Don yeah, would be in either. in this episode. I don't. Dawn I probably, don't think Don would be in this episode. I don't think she would either. It's, yeah, even Joyce isn't in it. It's right? too heavy. If anything, she would be like, "Oh, Buffy, what boy are you gonna ask to the dance?" Yeah, yeah. She'd be I like, "Buffy, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to go ask someone. You have no life anymore. Stop moaning over <laughs> Angel." <laughs> right. Dawn gets possessed, <laughs> breathes fire, just like in season six. <laughs> I thought that was very like deliciously ironic. The get out, wasps, get out, get out. <laughs> the wasps don't sting her because I think she's one. <laughs> of the undead. <laughs> They're like, yeah, no, like she can come in. Guys, let her in. She's good. <laughs> yeah, let the snakes have her. <laughs> she Great. is one. Well, that wraps up Scooby Secrets, our spoilers section. Thank you so much for being with us, Destiny. Yes. Uh, this has been so fun. You've been so insightful and just like a fun addition to the podcast. So you must definitely come back for season three. I would absolutely love it. And this has just been so fun again, like never really being able to actually have like insightful conversations about Buffy and just putting mm-hmm. it all on my husband. <laughs> uh, he's probably like, bless you. Thank you for like talking about <laughs> having an outlet. My wife. He's like, okay, just, just have your Buffy outlet. And just yeah. don't come back out with talking about it. You get it all out now. Get it out of your system. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's why we created the podcast. It's to be an outlet. And that's one of our favorite things is to have guests on who can talk about it because it's a community. And like, we never would have come to the conclusions we did if you weren't here. And so I think that's one of my favorite things is having us all put our brains together and analyze and think about stuff because I always walk away with new insights and stuff that I've never thought about before. And I just, I absolutely love that. It speaks to the depth of the show that you can have so many different perspectives, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Um, and as always, guys, you can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy. You can also email us becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on this episode. Definitely let us know that theory about Angel coming to the surface with Buffy sensing him, whether you guys think that that was James speaking or if that was Angel. Um, I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts. And we will see you guys in August. Have a wonderful July. 